I'd like to invite Andy now, who is going to be our third testimony for this Now and Then series, and he's going to reflect on what COVID has meant for his life and for his faith. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Kat. Good morning. Um, yeah, so Kat asked me to do a testimony, and I thought I'd just reflect um, over the last six months. So for me, um, 2020 probably started like the most of you as family celebrations. So this is our family gathering um, at the start of the year, no 1.5 metre rule there. So you may recognise like a few um, familiar faces. So that's how we sort of started the year. Um, also at the start of the year, had a family wedding. My son got married. There he is right there. That's Geordie. I have uh, four children. He's number three. And he was the first wedding um, in the family, him and Julia, my new daughter. And they just actually just live um, here in Elbert Park, just sort of um, down Victoria Street, just sort of the last street on the right-hand side in, I forget the name, but Reed, Reed Lane, I think it is, or Reed Street. So he's just sort of in the area there, um, which is great. Uh, every uh, two years, um, we run a, a conference at work uh, over at Oxford University. It's called the World uh, Literacy Summit. And in February, uh, we were in the planning of that. It was due to take place in uh, October, there's about a year of uh, preparation that goes into organising this event. People fly in from all over the world. So in February, we were madly sort of putting it together. And uh, pretty well at that point, um, people were saying, well, are you going ahead? Aren't you going ahead? And uh, really, uh, the, the registrations virtually stopped come February. And we were in this sort of dilemma of, if we cancel, there was going to be huge uh, financial consequences. We needed to pay 100% of the seven different venues we were using. So it was really going to be a financial tsunami for the organisation uh, that I run. Um, and fortunately, uh, Boris Johnson sort of said, look, you can't run any events anywhere in the UK. So we were forced to cancel it. But... Uh, the uh, deposits we, that we paid for all the venues were refunded back to us and we finished up running the event online and that's a picture of Oxford there. It's a beautiful place if you ever get a chance to go there. Then the following month in March, um, pretty well that's my office. So we have two levels at the office, downstairs and upstairs. In February it was filled with people. Uh, in March, it was empty. <laughs> there was just as... I'm not sure if you remember um, Gilligan's Island, if any, any of you watched that in the day. But Gilligan would say, um, there's me, myself and I, which is basically just one person. And that's what my office was like. It was just me. Um, so it was really quite a strange environment to quickly go from, you know, February when it was just filled with people organising the conference just um, to this empty space of just myself. Um, then in April, um, I became a little bit nostalgic, um, and that's um, a photo of our family. Um, you can see Wendy there right in the front with the yellow thing, and I had the blue crocheted knitted thing. So I became a little bit nostalgic, and I was looking through all the old family 
photos and I started a little Facebook thing going about, you know, bring back the fashion of knitwear and just as a bit of a joke, but no one sort of bought into it. They sort of wouldn't, wouldn't join my Facebook group. But uh, then I sort of moved from old family photos to music. Do any of you remember Larry Norman? Yes, yeah, we've got a few there. So I, I sort of got into, back into Larry Norman, Andre Crouch and the Disciples, Barry Maguire, Honey Tree. Remember Honey Tree, Allison? Honey Tree was sort of in that era. Phil Keggy, Michael Card. And I quickly realised that this whole generation that's never experienced any of, this, any of this fantastic Christian music, and it's amazing. So being in an empty office, you know, you're able to, you know, crank up the tunes and just, you know, blast it right through the office. So that's sort of what I was doing. So pretty well every day I had the YouTube going and, and I was just so surprised that all these old artists were still on YouTube and I was just, you know, cranking up their music very... Very, very nostalgic. Then, then May came, and then I sort of started to feel the enormity of the dark clouds that, you know, we were feeling both as, as a community and globally. It really started to impact um, me, you know, thinking more negatively and pessimistically about, you know, what was going on, you know, hearing much more about the hardship and the job losses and everything else that we were finding um, ourselves in. So it was sort of those dark forces. And then come June, at the start of the June, I sort of got into this whole questioning phase. Um, you know, in Victoria, there were, there were 20, 20 deaths from COVID, um, I think 7 million people in Victoria, you know, through the same period of time, you know, when you talk about uh, deaths via the regular flu or car accidents or drug overdoses and many things, all of those deaths were, you know, far greater than COVID, but yet it was just such a big deal and, you know, I was just getting overwhelmed by everywhere you turn, it was COVID, COVID, COVID. And then this week on Tuesday, a, a relative passed away, or Angie's relative, and then it became personal. So we'll see his photo there. There's... There he is, Oslenny, and he's a relative in Colombia, maybe Myanmar. <laughs> you can say a little bit about Oslenny. So every two years we sort of go to Colombia and really spend time with the family. So it was just a real, a real shock this week on Tuesday. Yeah. I was reading um, Matthew 8 this week, verses 1 to 4, but I was really being challenged with this notion around if Jesus um, was here in our community or in the city of Melbourne, you know, what, what would Jesus do? if he was sort of walking the streets in this environment. That was sort of my thinking. And I was uh, reflecting on that um, 
that story in Matthew 8 where Jesus was confronted with the leper. And I guess um, in, in that time, leprosy, there was no cure for it. Um, lepers were isolated away in quarantine and there were laws in place that citizens would not have any contact um, with a leper. And in Matthew 8, you know, a leper came out from the bushes and approached Jesus. And Jesus actually uh, reached out and touched him and both physically healed him and spiritually um, uh, healed him as well. And my challenge was, for me and for us as a community, being um, Christ-like in our, in our lives and being that both light and salt um, in our local community, you know, what would Jesus do and, and, and what should I do? And I guess, you know, we just sort of don't have to go too far to walk out the street to sort of start to see, like, some of the impact of the COVID-19 in our community, certainly up in, um, in uh, Victoria Street up there. There's several more empty shops and although people often are putting on a brave face, um, sometimes just a simple question to them, how are you going? You know, people open up, like Dale last night was saying he was just getting some pizza from a guy this, at the pizza shop this week and asked the guy, you know, how, how are you doing? How are you coping at the moment? And the guy went on to say that he actually um, employed, was it 19? 25 people... Um, in three restaurants, and at the moment it's just him and his wife just running the pizza shop and that's it. So just, you know, and he was really grateful that I think Dale had sort of shown a, a bit of interest in, in how he was tracking. And, and I guess my challenge um, is that for each of us um, to be Christ-like in um, all that we do in our local community, in the city... And, and where we live, and, and that is really thinking of the, the attributes or what we read about Jesus in uh, compassion, um, going beyond the superficial. Um, it was both, you know, the physical healing and the spiritual healing and going really, you know, cutting through to those things that really matter. And certainly, you know, in our network of friends and family, we know, you know, many people that are struggling. I think, you know, mental health um, in the city is a huge issue. And for us to have this level of compassion and understanding and be prepared to break through those superficial type questions and really find out from people how, how they are really going. And I guess that's the challenge for me. That's the challenge for you, um, for us to be Christ, to be his, his hands, his mouth, you know, through touch, um, as he ministered to the leper in um, Matthew 8, you know, for us to be and show and demonstrate Christ's love to this, to this local community where we live. Thank you. Thanks so much, Andy. Well, it's interesting what happens sometimes when you plan 
to give a sermon. When we were putting together this sermon series, something that's really close to my heart is sort of a theology of the neighbourhood and how God calls us to our neighbourhoods and our local places. But over the last week, I kind of felt God say, nah, there's something else I want you to talk about, Kat. And this, is, this has probably been a two-week thing, and it started two weeks ago when I delivered a Bible study to the table. Um, and we were challenged to think about all of the darkness that was in the world and the way that God had... Thanks, Josh. Is that better? And the way that God had given each and every one of us a light, the light of the spirit within us. And we were called, as Andy said, to be Christ-like, to reach out, uh, to touch people, to ask like Dale did, how are you going? We are called to shine that light in places of darkness. And so I have been finding the poetry of the prophets and especially Isaiah really, really beautiful as I've been praying over this and um, talking to God about it. So I want to share you with you today two little parts of two different poems from Isaiah. Now, Isaiah is that prophet and he's teaching at the very end of the kingdom period um, in Israel. And so it's pretty much been just a descent from one king to another and it gets worse and worse and Israel's being more and more corrupted. And so Isaiah is split into two parts. The first half of the book is chapters 1 through 39 and uh, he's speaking and prophesying against the corruption of the Israelites and he's warning that divine justice will come upon them in the form of Babylon and Assyria destroying their kingdom and sending them back into exile. But he's also hopeful amongst this. He's hopeful that once this happens, God will do a new thing with Israel. The second half of the book, which is where we're going to focus more today, is chapters 40, uh, yeah, 40 to 66, and it's after their exile from the kingdom. And what's interesting is Isaiah actually died about 80 years before the exile, and so he was prophesying and writing to these people in this exile period before he passed, and he would have given this um, to his disciples and those that learnt from him to carry on and pass on to this next generation. One of the things he prophesies and he talks about is that there's going to be two types of people in exile. First, there's going to be those that accuse God as the cause of their suffering and therefore turn from him. And the second group are going to be those that choose to turn towards God in this time as his servants. Isaiah talks about these followers being the seeds of the new kingdom. So both the little readings that we're going to have today are from the very end of the second half of the book of Isaiah. And it's where God is announcing that these faithful servants, these seeds um, that he is planting, they are going to be the ones who inherit the kingdom. They are going to be the ones that bring upon justice and mercy to these people. So the first uh, poem that we're going to read is from chapter 58 and I'll read it to you first and then we'll have a chat about it. So it's not this, is this, not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to lose the chains of injustice and untie the cord of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. 
Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guide. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression and the pointing of malice fingers, God says, here I am. Well, this is a beautiful poem that calls out all of those who ignore his teachings. This poem says that God will bring his mighty justice upon those that turn from him and pollute um, his good world with darkness. And he gives an instruction and a way forward. The second reading today is part of another poem that is kind of in stark contrast from this first one. It, it brings a lot of hope. And that's what I've been meditating on, the hope that this poem brings. It's this vision of how we are all empowered by the Spirit to follow God, who, contain, who contains the light of God. We all contain the light of God. And that we will announce the great news of God's kingdom to all those who are suffering and oppressed and poor. It's from God's new kingdom that blessing, justice and mercy will flow to the ends of the world. The reading is from chapter 60 and it's verses 1 to 3 and it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the people. But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Well, that picture that Andy showed us earlier of the darkness engulfing the city it really draws me back to that verse. Darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the people. But that second part of the verse brings hope. It says, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. How beautiful is that? Well, a fortnight ago when we were doing this study as a small group, we heard a story from Christine Kane, and some of you might know her. She's a preacher and a writer, and a, um, she stands against uh, sexual exploitation and tra human trafficking. She has a charity called A21. She talked about a profound experience she had when visiting the concentration camps at Auschwitz, of seeing piles of shoes and piles of little children's shoes of the children that were killed, that were extinguished and executed there. She spoke of walking through that atrocity and seeing these shoes and, being, and thinking of her little girls at home that wore very similar shoes. She was floored that this massive darkness and evil once existed on, in this world and engulfed this world. She recalls falling to her knees and she said she must have looked like a crazy woman there in the middle of Auschwitz with everybody with their tourist 
you know, their cameras and everything, she fell to her knees in grief and she thought, but where were the Christians during this? Where was the church? Well, I haven't done much study of this period, but what I have done is um, kind of a bit of the church's involvement. I learnt first about uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was indeed this amazing theologian who fought for God's justice against the Nazis. Ultimately, he lost his life um, fighting for his brothers and sisters, for humanity in this place. But I also know that he was fighting against other churches in Germany that were won over by Hitler. And I think I have a picture because I feel like the picture is worth a thousand words. These were some of the churches in Germany at the time. Do you see how small the crucifix is, how small the cross is, and how big that swastika is? They proudly hung that, somehow thinking that this was God's will, somehow joining the darkness, thinking that it was God's light. But what about the other churches worldwide? There were millions of Christians. Why didn't they do something? makes me think, what am I missing? I'm in the church every week. I'm busy putting together rosters and sermons and making sure someone's on the door. Am I being distracted from Christ's true work? Are our lives sometimes distracting us from speaking out against atrocities that exist? Now, the Holocaust is a really extreme example of darkness But the darkness didn't go away with the Holocaust. Genocide still happens today in Myanmar, Sudan, Syria and Iraq. Millions of people worldwide are currently displaced from their homes and their families. Famine reaches across our globe. Disease reaches across our globe. COVID is reaching across our globe. Here in Australia, we're experiencing job loss, homelessness, a pandemic of mental illness, a resurgence of racism. Even in this privileged place, there is so much darkness. And they're just those things that easily come to mind. So I'm wondering what it is that we're not seeing. What is it to be our response as Christians? I don't want to leave us in this place where we just talk about darkness. There is a hope. There is a hope And I'm not asking us to all go from this place and save the world straight away because I don't think that's possible. But I do think God is pretty clear on what we are to do. We are to loosen the chains of injustice. We are to set the oppressed free. We are to share food with the hungry. We are to clothe the naked and offer the wanderer shelter. We are to take the light of the Holy Spirit, take the light that Jesus gave to us when he sacrificed his life, that redeeming light. And we're meant to take it out to the world. We're meant to shine it into those places of darkness. There's two quotes I want to share with you that I've um, been reading over a couple of times in the past few weeks. The first is from Bonhoeffer, that theologian who spoke out against the Nazis during the Holocaust. He said that, Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. That God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is in fact to speak. Not to act is to act. 
Jesus has taught us. He has shown us the way. Now we have to do something. I like this second reflection. It's a little bit more hopeful about the light. It's from Henry Newen and it says, People who have come to know the joy of God do not deny the darkness, but they choose simply not to live in it. They claim that the light that shines in the darkness can be trusted more than any darkness or evil itself. And the little bit of light can dispel a whole lot of darkness. A little bit of Jesus can dispel a whole lot of evil. They point each other to the flashes of light here and there and remind each other that they reveal the hidden but real presence of God. They discover that there are people who heal each other. They heal each other's wounds. They forgive each other's offences. They share their possessions. They foster a spirit of community celebrate the gifts they have received and live in constant anticipation of the full and holy manifestation of God's glory. See, we must resist the forces of darkness. Not deny it, but resist it. Because I know that sometimes they can paralyse us to do absolutely nothing. They can make us numb. They can make us unsure and utterly useless to serve God. We actually have to say the darkness is there, but we're saying no. We have to not give in to that impulse to look away. In fact, we have to look headfirst into it and say this is where we will shine the light of God. Because that amazing thing about light is you don't need much of it to make a big difference in the dark. Sometimes after youth group, it's very dark and I stand in this church by myself in the dark and I am um, vacuuming up or whatever. And it gets surprisingly dark in here, but sometimes I like to light a candle. And it's amazing how that little bit of light from a candle that big kind of dances around this room. It hits the stained glass windows and it does something beautiful. The light casts shadows. It disperses the darkness. It's definitely not enough for me to sit and read a book, but that's okay. I think today's verse really captured for us um, when it says, nations will come to the light of the Lord. They will come like mosquitoes to a dim porch light in that massive darkness of night. But first, we need to turn the light on. We need to light the candle. We need to be there shining. Being the light does not always mean we are going to be go, go out in full force, high beams on. Sometimes our initial step is going to be small. We might be that little candle in a big dark church or that porch light in the dark of night. We might be that one hot meal for a family in need, that $100 donation to a local charity, that spare winter coat that sits in our cupboard that we hand to the woman who is sleeping rough. We might be the voice that calls out when we see something unjust or the person who sits just like Jesus did next to that leper. We might sit next to the social outcast and have a conversation because we are followers of Jesus who just like our saviour Jesus are called to be with the poor, with the needing, for the searching, 
we're just the lonely. To live in community with them as our brothers and our sisters. Sure, we might only be able to bring our light in a small way, but what if 10 Christians showed up with that light? What if 100? What if the millions worldwide showed up? Well, then we would be on fire. It would be this roaring fire of the Holy Spirit. And in that, we're going to create change. We create love. And God's justice really does flow like gushing, gushing light over this world, getting rid of that darkness. So let's start with our city. Let's start as a people who are committed to our neighbourhoods and who are committed to Melbourne. I was introduced to this little exercise a few years ago and I want to share it with you today. I want you guys to choose a part of our city. It might be your neighbourhood where you live, where you work or study. It might even be around this church. Now, if you're a person that likes to walk or run or cycle, I encourage you to do this while you're out on your, on your daily exercise route. If you're someone like me who is dead clumsy and can't think and write and walk at the same time, well, then I did this with a cup of tea and I drew a picture. So what I want you to do is look on those streets. I want you to be able to take in what is happening around you and not just hurry past. I want you to be open to the surroundings and not distracted. So maybe close your eyes now and think about the neighbourhood that you're going to choose. This week, I want you to either physically or mentally walk the streets. I want you to notice where the people are, where the activity is, where the quietness is. I want you to notice where God is calling you to. I want you to notice the darkness there. I don't want you to pull away from it. I don't want you to judge it. I just want you to see the suffering. Not to feel hopeless or guilty, but just see it. I want you to ask God, how can you, how can we shine God's light upon that darkness? How is it that you can let the glory of the Lord rise upon it? And then quite simply, I want you to make it happen. I want you to do something. It can be small, but just do one thing this week. Might be like Dale, that you ask somebody how they're going. It might be that you pass that extra bit of hand sanitizer in your bag and you give it to somebody sleeping rough to protect them. And then I want you to do something that often I, I wouldn't ask, but I want you to talk about it. I don't want you to brag about it or bring any glory to yourself, but I want you to talk about it enough that the darkness comes to light. I want you to talk about it enough that you can actually find others in our city who have a heart for that same dark place so that you can join together. And when you join that light together, we're going to blow the darkness away and just bring the light of God over our city. I'm going to finish by praying over us this morning to commission us to go out. And then when we stand and sing this song, we're going to sing a song that the worship team has prepared called God of This City. And I want you to reflect as we sing each and every word that God truly is the God of this city. He is the God of Melbourne. And it is time that we shine onto our city with the full power of our Holy Spirit. It's time for us to partner with God to be here in Melbourne, to blow away all of that darkness, to do something new here. So let's pray.
Lord Jesus, bringer of eternal light, master over all that is dark, over all that is evil, over all that is hurtful. Impress upon our hearts a vision of how we can join you. Lord, let us not shy away from the dark places of our city. Let us not turn our face from those that you love. Lord of light, let us shine your precious light, the light of your spirit to every corner of Melbourne. Let us partner with you and one another to see your divine justice wash away hurt and wash away the pain and the oppression. Lord, make our city, make our world anew. Amen.